Welcome to Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. My name is Robin Robertson, and I am the host and creator of this podcast. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for joining me. You are welcome, absolutely welcome in this community. So I usually have my kids joining me on the introduction to the to different episodes. Today it's a little bit different because they're visiting friends and I'm here at home on a podcast workday. So you have me all to yourself for this introduction. And this week's a little bit of a special week because last week we decided to go and visit my mom. And so this week I'm airing something special, which is two episodes, not just one episode. So if you're just tuning in this week, and this is the first episode you're hearing, I just want to encourage you to also listen to the episode that aired earlier. You can do that after you listen to this one. And the episode that aired earlier was with my friend Amanda Kermy. She's an unschooling mom of three kids in Australia. So if you'd like to hear a little bit more about her journey and as well the importance of self-care, she's a holistic health practitioner, a yoga teacher, and she's working to becoming an Ayurvedic doula, I would definitely recommend you tuning into the show. Now, today, first I'd like to make a shout out, to give a shout out to one of my patrons, Joanna. Thank you so much for your support. Joanna actually has been in touch with me for a little while. She asks such great questions. She really gets me thinking on the topics of natural learning and self-directed education and all of the pieces that go along with it. So Joanna, thank you very much for reaching out and for supporting the show. Joanna, as well, is an artist herself, and I definitely recommend you checking out what she creates. It is beautiful. You can find her on Instagram. Her Instagram account is by Joanna Fisher, and Joanna Fisher is spelled J-O-A-N-A-F-I-S-C-H-E-R. And her website is of the same name. It's www.joanna-fisher.com. So you can go there and check out more of her art, her creations, and she also shares a bit of their natural learning journey as well in their family too. I also wanted to mention a few things that I've had a chance to be part of and will get to be part of this summer. So the Homeschooling Global Summit for 2020 actually just will have completed when you hear this episode, but I'm pretty sure you can log back in or you can go back to the website and register to hear some of the recordings that have just been completed. I got a chance to talk about our journey into homeschooling and unschooling, and there was a wealth of information. It was actually 10 days long, and there were talks focused on homeschooling, unschooling, world schooling, the future of education, alternative programs, micro schools, there was a plethora of information. So I definitely encourage you to go and check that out. I will share the website for Homeschooling Global Summit on the show notes so you can go there as well. And then the next thing that I have coming up is another summit called Getting It Together. Explore alternatives for your child's education and find a healthier, happier family life post-COVID and beyond. And so this summit will be happening July 15th, 16th, and 17th. For those three days, it will be complimentary. And then after that, they are offering actually a full year-long membership program to not only receive all of the videos, but they're offering more for parents and support as well. So I was interviewed by the host of the summit, Kohila Sivas, and if you're on the fence about how your kid's education will look like this fall, especially if you're tuning into my podcast and you really have this as a resource to learn, I also encourage you to check out summits like those. This summit is a great must-watch summit because you'll walk away with options, resources, and ideas to discover what's best for your child and your family. So I will also include those links in the show notes. So now this brings us to our current episode, and that's with my interview with Karima Akila. This is such a great interview. I was nodding my head along to Karima through the entire hour that we spoke. I walked away feeling absolutely inspired by Karima and everything that she's creating. So Karima Akila says that homeschool burnout is what almost drove this mama of half a dozen, yes, she has six kids, to the edge of depression. 
Being a slave to her curriculum, Karima Akila felt like a failure, always behind with apathetic kids who lacked a luster for learning. It took three strikes, a trip to the craft store, a slap in the face from a 16-year-old, and the idea of a fish climbing a tree to finally convince her to try something she said would never do, which was unschool. Through the Genius School, Karima championed other mamas and papas to discover the genius of their children by encouraging kids to do something they would enjoy, do well, and be proud of, thus leading to their strengths. Once strengths and interests are identified and articulated, Karima believes kids should be invited to dream up disruptive and scalable solutions housed in marketable systems that are nurtured and funded by successful entrepreneurs with the intent of bringing a child's gift to the world. And that's a world she believes we all would like to live in. And that is definitely a world that I would like to live in. So if you're interested in learning more about the Genius School, Karima is offering an online open house that's going to be available July 12th at 5 p.m. Eastern time. And so Karima will not only talk about the Genius School, the pillars, the foundations that based on, but she'll also be there to talk about self-directed learning and what that looks like and how that plays out in our community and in our children's lives. So if you'd like to learn more about that, along with the amazing creation that the Genius School is, I really encourage you to tune in July the 12th at 5 p.m. Eastern time. So you can go to her website to register, which is thegeniusschool.org slash events. But I will also include the link and information in the show notes as well. So enjoy the episode. So today I have Karima Akila on the show. Thank you so much, Karima, for joining me. It's my pleasure. (laughs) So Karima is the founder of the Genius School, which is a decentralized, democratic, self-directed school. And Karima, actually, I just want to tell you really quickly how I found you. I actually had a listener who contacted me, which I do have many listeners who have certain requests. I usually ask if there's a topic that they want me to expand more on or somebody that they really, really want to hear on the show. And I had a listener reach out to me and said, please, could you have Karima Akila on the show and please have her talk about her school that she has been building? (laughs) That is such a blessing. Yes, yes. So I, you know, I messaged back and said, of course, I don't know Karima, and I'm going to have to check her out first and see what works. And then uh, we'll go from there. So I started hunting you down (laughs) and stalking you as I as I could on the internet. (laughs) I'm reading as much as I could about you and looking for interviews. And yeah, I found you and the genius school. And I was like, wow, this is fantastic. And I don't know how or why our paths have not yet crossed, but now Mm -hmm. they have. And I'm very thankful that they have. So thank you for being on the show today. Thank you so much for the invitation. My pleasure. So maybe we can start out by talking a little bit about you and your background and how you got to this place where you are now, especially homeschooling your kids. And so you can maybe give us a little bit of that background and tell the audience more about that. Sure. So I began as a public school teacher in Maryland. And at the birth of our first child, my husband said, well, you know, it's uh, time for you to come on home now and take care of this baby. And I willingly did. And so as first time moms, you know, that first child is that golden child, right? So you just pour your Mm -hmm. whole life into them. Shortly after he was born, the second child came and then all the other four followed pretty fairly after that. The first child has a late birthday. His birthday is at the end of December. I began using a method by Dr. Glenn Doman. Dr. Glenn Doman created um, the Institute for the Achievement of Human Potential. And Dr. Glenn Doman gave me the best advice ever. And he said to teach children, you only teach when you are joyful and you only teach when they are joyful, and you stop before they want you to stop, and you only talk about the things that the children love to do and talk about. So I thought that that was a great foundation, and that's how we began. From that foundation, my oldest one began, he was fluently reading by the time he was four. And so at that time, um, we could not place him in kindergarten because he has this birthday at the end of December. And at that time, they were not allowing parents to test their children to see if they were ready for first grade or kindergarten earlier. So being a former public school teacher myself, 
I knew that if I placed him in kindergarten during the September that he would have been five by September 1st, he quickly would have turned six by the end of that year and he would have been bored out of his mind. And so that began this entrance into this world called homeschooling. I didn't know anyone else that was homeschooling at the time. I was the first out of my friends to have children. So, you know, all of my friends were looking at me like, what, what, what are you doing? What, what is he doing? doing? Right. What is he doing? You're not putting him in the local, you know, preschool or, or, and so, no, I didn't feel comfortable doing that. And then with the additional children that came fairly quickly afterwards, um, I just saw some learning differences that would not, uh, their genius and their gifts would not have been on full display in a traditional school. So we said, well, here we are, and we might as well keep going. And so we began very much very traditionally. Um, I remember I began initially playing games with the children and um, reading to them. You know, my children were voracious um, listeners of audiobooks. Somewhere, however, around the time that the oldest one turned about eight, I said, you know, I think we might want to start doing real school. And so I found a curriculum that I was familiar with. I won't drop any names, lest anyone is <laughs> using it. But it was very, very traditional in its approach. Yeah, a lot of seat work, class work, board work, homework. And it did not work for us. <laughs> and um, I switched then to a literature-based curriculum, which did work for us until I started adding more children to their mix. And so trying to juggle the different cores at that time, um, I didn't feel comfortable with. And then we eventually morphed into classical education. Now, while I am a uh, fan of the trivium, and I understand the breakdown of the trivium, I also was trying to recreate home, a school in my home. And trying to recreate school in your home when you are birthing and nursing babies and the toddler is screaming because he doesn't want to go down for a nap. And you're trying to go over these, you know, phonemes and <laughs> diphthongs and whatnot, trying to go over this phonics lesson with you, you know, whoever's learning to read at the time. It was just a, a mixture for a mess. Hmm. And um, after a series of events, including children turning into apathetic learners, me finding myself um, in at the verge of depression and just feeling like I was never good enough, feeling like our homeschool wasn't good enough, feeling like I was uh, failing the children. That's when I finally considered doing something I said I would never do, which is unschooling. And that really was the entrance into this way of life. Okay. So had you heard about un unschooling before that, or did you start doing that then realized it was called unschooling? Well, I had heard about these crazy people that unschool these people. <laughs> <laughs> and how crazy. How crazy were they? <laughs> and at that time, I said, now what? You know how you do, you know, when you're looking over the way at someone else and you're just shaking your head and just saying, oh. You know, that is unparenting, that is irresponsible, you know, all of these things that I thought at the time, right? And it wasn't until, you know, I found myself at this place when I was, I was grasping for something that I think I was afraid of what it was called. Even though I wanted the result, I was afraid of what it took to get there. And, so, you know, so you start off, you know, just putting your, 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 your toe in the, in the baby pool. So I started with project-based learning. I said, okay, I could do that. But even more so than that, I started with, and I have to use my voice that I used on the children. I started with classical mornings and delight-driven afternoons. <laughs> you got to sell it, right? You got to sell it to them. Right, right. So my older ones were looking at me like, mm-mm. Don't leave her. <laughs> We've seen this before. We know, yeah. <laughs> so I said, guys, listen, how about after breakfast, we'll have 
classical mornings where I'll come down with our curriculum and we'll do the math and all of the stuff that, you know, I was afraid to let go of. And then in the afternoon after lunch, you guys can do whatever delights you with delight driven afternoons and mm-hmm. I'll become your assistant. And they were like, mm, okay. And so <laughs> we started, right? And so after lunch, well, they sat down doing, you know, classical mornings and they were very obedient children. So they sat there and they listened. After lunch, however, they turned into these extremely curious and focused and driven people that I had not seen before. They were autonomous and they were self-starting and everyone had passion behind their projects. And they were asking me questions of how to do something that I know I just taught last week during classical mornings. And I know that they took the quiz and did well on the test. But somehow during Delight Driven Afternoon, when they are passionate about whatever it is that they're doing and now they need whatever it is that they are learning, now they're learning it. Mm. So one morning, my children are very smart, as all of our children are. These highly intelligent people woke up and came downstairs before me and began their Delight Driven Afternoons in the morning time before (laughs) And when I came downstairs and I saw their determination and the fire, you know, in their eyes and and that light that every teacher worth their salt desires to see, when I saw that, I knew that I would be interrupting them if I stopped them at that moment to do what I thought they needed to learn. And so that led me to research unschooling. And I found myself in this world I said I would never be in. And I found all of the myths that I thought were true were just myths. And that began the de-schooling process, which in and of itself is enough to make anyone feel like they're partially insane. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. once you make it on the other side of de-schooling, you realize that you are in the world of beautiful freedom and full self-expression. And it is just the most glorious thing to see children follow their interests and passions. Hmm. So, okay, I have a few questions. Yeah. First, that comes up because of you just mentioned that. So you began your, you looked at the myths mm-hmm. and then you began de-schooling. Mm-hmm. What were some of those myths that you had held on to for so long and then you saw, oh, you know what? They are just myths. They yeah. aren't actually necessarily true. Yeah, the very first one would be, as I said before, unparenting. I thought that unschooling or self-directed learning meant that parents just throw your hands in the air and wave them like you just don't care. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought was, was going to happen. Um, actually, the exact opposite um, is true. Um, it Unschooling and self-directed learning brings the relationship of parent and child to the forefront And it's within that relationship that we work very closely together um, to help the the learner identify what their curiosities or passions are and then to follow them. Another myth that I thought was that if I don't um, force my children to learn the things that I deemed as successful, then they would not. Right there, there are two contradictions. Number one, forcing someone to do something. And then number two, the worth that people place on what students follow as their own interests. So number one, I learned that I did not have to force my children to do and to learn the things that light them up on the inside. And that the pursuit of that in and of itself leads them to learn everything that they need to know. Parents ask me, well, if I let them do what they want to do, how will they know what they need to know? And I always assure them by saying I felt the same way, but I learned that in that freedom and support, my kids discovered who they are and they are able to give themselves exactly what they need to learn in order to be and to do who they are. And then the other side of that coin is identifying the value and the worth of whatever that is. Um, mm. that's, that's probably something of a, of a deeper discussion, but I found that it's the when and the what that trips us up. When our children learn certain skills, 
Um, you know, we're all, it's just like when babies are learning to walk, you go into the pediatrician's office and they want to make sure that they're hitting these milestones. And, you know, it's okay if your child isn't walking at 12 months or 13 months or 15 months. They'll walk when they walk as long as there's nothing, you know, neurologically wrong. They will walk. Learning is the same way. Your children will learn to read. They will learn math as they see a need for it. Um, so I had to learn to let that go. And then it's the what. If children are not learning or digesting this prescribed um, core curriculum that somebody in some room that's never met my kids has created and deemed as this thing that you're supposed to know by this time, that we've placed so much value and worth on this curriculum and what we believe that it will create in our kids, that we get concerned and scared with what our children are pursuing if they are allowed to pursue what interests them. And that really points to a question of worth and value. Do we value the interests of children? And do we see that their budding interests are just that, the seeds of something that will grow into something much larger? So those are some of the myths that I, um, I found that I had to debunk in order to move forward. Mm. Yeah, those are big ones. And I think you explained it very, very clearly because I, those are also ones that are common. They're mm -hmm. commonly asked from parents who are looking at unschooling or don't know or have fears around it. You know, how are my children going to learn if I don't make them learn? Okay. What about math and science and those subjects that people think you can't learn in the experience of life or that somehow only happen in a textbook or worksheet, but actually don't happen in the real world, right. which is odd. <laughs> how, I'm not sure why we still think that. And the whole, how are they going to be, you know, successful people or go further than that or get into post-secondary or find a job when really it's so much of the conventional education is tapping into the fears of parents and not really about the learning and education of the child. Goes back to the worth, yeah, for sure. It 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 triggers the fears of worth, self worth on the parents that therefore then push it onto the kids and then everyone else in the institution around them. Absolutely, and when you begin to pull at that thread, the scary part is is that the whole thing begins to unravel, mm. and for a lot of us that is unnerving because you're pulling at the very fabric upon which we've built portions of our lives. And I see it as a beautiful thing to witness and to watch. Um, and it gets down to the core of exactly what is important. What is supposed to be the end game of this K through 12 experience? It is supposed to be, or at least it should have been, to figure out who is this person and what do they have to contribute to this planet that we live on. Um, and I think that very soon we will get to a place where that will become in sharper focus. Mm, yes, yes. Well, I think that's also, I mean, this is just putting my personal belief into this, but mm -hmm. some of that creation of that institution, of the educational institution, had a different purpose. Mm -hmm. It wasn't always about finding the worth, but it was about creating a certain type of citizen sure. then that you know, do certain things, <laughs> yep. not necessarily what they were, you know, the intrinsic motivation or their worth or their calling. No. Absolutely. Yeah. So as a teacher, how did that, do you think it was harder for you being a teacher and then coming into that? Or do you think that helped you in if the practice could, of schooling? If I could hand back my degree and get back all of the money that I spent for it, I would. <laughs> you would, okay. <laughs> because, uh, well, let me say it like this. I say that in maybe 90%, uh, maybe no, 5% just. So <laughs> <laughs> the thing that I um, definitely gleaned and used during unschooling uh, would be the, the child development um, that anyone could learn. You know, just by either observing children or by reading a basic book or taking a basic course on child development. Um, on the, creating school in my home was one thing. Unschooling or self-directed learning was something completely different because I was not, and most teachers are not, trained 
to, well, let me, let me take that back. The school system itself does not allow for the freedom that teachers, many teachers already see that they need to give students. Hmm. And, but their hands are tied because they have to follow this curriculum. They have to do what is necessary in order for these students to be successful on these tests so that the school can be seen as being one of success. And of course, there's all sorts of things tied to that funding being one of them. So to answer your question, no, my degree in education hindered my ability to um, allow my children to learn in freedom because I was trained to teach not trained to learn. Hmm. And it, the two, it's, it's like being a chef who is trained to cook versus being trained on how to eat because you can cook all day long, but that cooking does not equate eating. The eating happens only inside of the eater. So I was trained to teach all day long. And I mean, I was trained by the best and I can do that well, but my teaching does not uh, equate someone's learning. That learning only happens inside of the learner. And I think if there needs to be any study at all, it needs to be on what happens inside of a person that propels them to acquire knowledge. If that's the definition of learning, the acquisition of knowledge, what is that spark? And if we were to place more emphasis on that, then I think that we would create a better um, organization that would serve learners better. I think that we would find that that spark or that acquisition is based upon desire. And that desire can be rooted in pure desire or that desire can be rooted in need. Uh, I want to do this thing. Therefore, I have to learn. I want to learn how to do this so that I can accomplish that. Or I love to do this thing and I want to consume more of it simply because I love it. Whether I do anything with it or not. But the, the, the purest form of learning happens at that exact spark, that moment when the learner decides to acquire something and to let it in. That is a beautiful thing to study. It is. It's truly self-directed then, mm -hmm. truly intrinsic. So then is that, I mean, I think this is a great time to ask you about the Genius School then. Mm -hmm. is it, first, what is the Genius School? Before we, I start asking you more about that and how you would compare it to traditional school and if that's mm -hmm. what you had in mind upon the creation, what, how would you describe the Genius School to someone who has never heard or fallen upon it yet? The Genius School is a place, a space where trust is the foundation and where there is encouraged, students are encouraged to just have good experiences, create for yourself um, something that you actively make happen, that you would enjoy, you would do well, and you would be proud of. And in the pursuit of that, or in the answering of that invitation, because it's all built upon invitation, which a learner or a student could choose to accept or deny. But if they choose to accept the invitation to create a good experience for themselves, in the pursuit of that good experience, we all will be able to see what your strengths are. We will be able to determine um, a little closer about what your gifts are. And in the process, because a learner or a person is creating a good experience, you're having a good time and I'm having a good time engaging with you in this good experience. Um, the Genius School also is a community where those good experiences begin to create a pattern of the strengths of this person or the genius of this person. And then the very next natural invitation would be for this person, this genius, this student, this learner to use their genius to help someone else, to solve a problem for someone else. So at the, if you were to boil the genius school down upon its basic foundation, you would find trust, number one, 
you would find good experiences, an invitation to create good experiences, number two. And you would find an invitation to serve your community with your genius, number three. Aside from that, and in addition, there are other opportunities and invitations for students as well. We say that the Genius School is decentralized. That simply means that there is no one set curriculum that the school follows because each child is their own curriculum. Curriculum is derived from a Latin word, which simply means a course. It was just used to describe a course or a running of horses. This is just the way that the horses go. And so instead of using someone else's pre-described way that you should go, we simply ask the child to ask themselves, which way do I want to go? So that's what we mean by decentralized. When we say democratic, we mean that students are invited in just about every aspect of the creation of the community. Students say and they vote um, on what to do in the space, what is considered safe, what is considered productive, what is considered harmful and to avoid, how will we resolve conflict. All of that is created in community. That's what I mean by democratic and of course self-directed. The self guides what is learned, when it is learned, how and why. We also talk about the five pillars of the Genius School. Briefly, the five pillars just encompass other invitations that the students can engage in. I already mentioned pillar number one, which is know thyself, and you do so by creating good experiences. And I also mentioned pillar number five, which is to use your genius to serve others in your community. The other pillars, pillar number two, know thy source, know whatever it is that you use to regulate yourself and to be emotionally and mentally healthy. So there'll be invitations for students to engage in practices of mindfulness or meditation or yoga. Pillar number three, know how to make thine own money. There will be invitations for students to learn about entrepreneurship or to learn job skills um, if that's what they decide to do. And then pillar number four is know thy world. There will be opportunities for students to travel um, autonomously first locally, and then with a guide nationally and internationally. These are the five pillar invitations. So if you were to boil down the Genius School, you would find trust, you would find good experiences, and you would find serving others with your genius, and then free engagement with any and all of the five pillars. Hmm. So did you, the, the five pillars mm-hmm. and your, your three, mate, your, your focus, trust, good experiences and an invitation to good experiences and serving your community. Is that something that you saw was that the community, that the school, the education community was without, and that's where that creation came from along with the five pillars? Yes. I, so first with my own home and my children, I noticed what was lacking as they got closer to this magical age of 18, 19, 20. And I heard the things that they would say to me, you know, mom, you know, we never learned how to do, you know, X, Y, Z. We didn't travel or um, I don't know how to leverage, you know, my gifts or how to market my own skills. So that's one eye opener. The second eye opener that I noticed was there seems to be a disconnect between the return on investment in education. So we pour money into a school and this school uses those resources to educate. And then this person goes through K through 12, they graduate, and then they go off into the world. And we hope that they are contributing members of society somehow. But there isn't a, a quicker or a shorter return on that investment. I have noticed that if I, if we allow students a chance to come to their genius faster, and we, we can do that easily, you know, by just giving them the freedom to do so, then we can also give them the opportunity to leverage that genius by serving others. How can you solve a problem for someone else? How can you take that solution and wrap it in a system and make it scalable? Now we're talking about entrepreneurship. How do you know what things are in the world? Where are things in the world? Do you know how to navigate that? What do you do when you're angry, 
when you're sad? How do you navigate your emotions so that you are healthy? All of these things I saw as missing um, inside of various different educational models, not even just public school, but private school, and also in some self-directed learning spaces. And so I love to solve problems. And I love to um, close my eyes and imagine a world where these solutions are commonplace. And so that's what led to the creation of the five pillars. Mm, okay. Okay. And so can I ask what brought you to the democratic process, a democratic schooling structure, as opposed to having it, uh, the, having the four pillars or the five pillars mm-hmm. and without the democratic process? Because I understand too, you're following something similar to the Sudbury model where there is the judicial committee, um, you know, the, those main committees and, and voting rights of every individual in the school, no matter how old they are and, and what they're doing in the school mm-hmm. so that everyone has a say. What brought you to that part? The great question. Uh, number one, the buy-in alone. Um, I maybe I'm just tired. <laughs> maybe after having six kids in twelve years and you know all of my other experiences, you know, I found that creating something with someone, doing something with someone, as opposed to doing something to someone, leads a better result. <laughs> and so, you know, I think that number one, I noticed my own parenting began to morph and change into into more of a democracy, into more of a community than a dictatorship, uh, which is exactly, you know, it's very, more similar to what I experienced in school and more so at home, right? You just didn't have a voice. You just did what you were supposed to do. And that was yeah. really the end of it. Um, but to be more specific, you mentioned Sudbury. Um, I Sudbury was the very first model that I saw. I had, when I began this research, I had no idea that there were real people allowing children to learn this way in brick and mortar schools. And so Sudbury became the thing that I began to research. And my research of Sudbury schools, then that opens up the door to all of these other offerings, Sudbury schools, freedom schools, agile learning centers, and everything else in between. Um, I want to be very clear in stating that I stand shoulder to shoulder with anyone and everyone that is promoting a self-directed space for children, period. Regardless of the method, regardless of how many days, regardless of how much freedom, if you desire and if you're working towards children learning and freedom, then we are in partnership. That being said, through my pursuit of understanding all of these different offerings, um, there was something more communal I saw with the agile learning model, which while they may not use words specifically as democratic in a lot of their literature, I see the process of uh, everyone having a say in forming the norms for this community. Um, so the Genius School is aligning itself with the Agile Learning Center model for using their tools for meetups and for conflict resolution. Um, again, great total respect for Sudbury. I have friends all in, within all of these worlds and spaces. Um, but for right now, we are beginning with Agile. And it's the kind of thing where, you know, the Genius School is not mine. The Genius School is my gift to the world. And as long as it has this foundation and these five pillars, then it is the Genius School. And so if down the line, uh, community, you know, decides that they want to align themselves with a, a slightly different twist, by all means, you know, I see that as, as not something to split hairs on because then we lose focus of the main pursuit, which is to create more self-directed learning spaces um, for children. Um, so that's how I came to, um, that's, that's where I use the word democratic. Um, and that is my progression throughout the worlds of Sudbury schools and agile learning centers and freedom centers and everything else in between. Okay. That's clear. Okay. Thank you. You know, it's, when I hear it, for me, I'm, number one, I get excited <laughs> and I get very happy. Mm-hmm. But, but at the same time, I think like, wow, 
in a way, I want it to happen sooner because I think if more of the kids, of our kids in this world can live and learn like that and experience that, Mm -hmm. what a better world really we would be living in, in Mm -hmm. so many ways. Because what is being created for our children, you know, really a lot of adults don't even have. Even the five pillars that you talk about and the importance of that, I, I absolutely agree. Understanding, you know, know thyself as an adult, that's even still for myself, it's a mm-hmm. constant work in progress every single day. And finding the tools in order to support, you know, myself for those others around me as well. Um, know thy source when you're talking about emotionally, mentally. Again, that is something that many adults don't even have a small grasp on, mm-hmm. um, you know, no, making money. Mm-hmm. Being able to power that comes with that for yourself and then further into your community mm-hmm. is it's hard to even put into, you know, it, it's, it's actually a really big thing. So to be able to do that as a young person mm-hmm. and then grow with that, it's it's a, a fantastic. It's a it's an amazing feat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is. And it's, you know, it is something that when I close my eyes and think about it, I am swept away. I am, I see something that is alive. I see the opportunity to breathe life into a space where um, we just didn't have the opportunity before, either because we just didn't know that this was even possible. Um, but just to think about a generation of people that at the onset of their ec- uh, educational or academic career, they were told that they are already enough. You were told that you are already a genius. You are told that everything that you that you need in order to be successful is already inside of you. And when you learn how to operate in your genius, because everybody is a genius. Everyone came here with special skills and abilities. It is simply a matter of were you given the opportunity to flex in them? Were you given the opportunity to figure it out without pressure and without blame and fear? And then did someone show you how you can leverage it to serve someone else and to see um, what happens when you begin this cycle of giving and how you are able to receive? When I close my eyes and think about it, It is something that sweeps me away. And to be very honest, it is extremely humbling. And uh, to think that my little itty bitty brain (laughs) could could conceive of something like this. It is something that when I think about where it can grow to, it catches my breath, which is why it is so very important that this is done in community. Um, So many times the magic is in one person. You know the stories of the kids that go to a certain school and the parents are saying, I sure hope they get Miss Waters because, you know, Miss Waters is great. And if they don't get Miss Waters, then, you know, they're screwed for the rest of the year. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because that's, that's because the magic was in Miss Waters. But I believe the magic can be in this system. It can be in the structure. And it has to move beyond me. And so it's kind of like giving birth. You know, once you give birth to a person, they walk around and they engage with other people and they become their own living, breathing thing. And that's exactly how I perceive the genius school as a gift that when other people engage with it, I want them to feel a sense of aliveness and freedom and inspiration, um, like something that we've not experienced before. Mm, I love it. I love it. So then what about what obstacles do you think you're facing right now or have you already been facing? (laughs) Oh, my. What a way to snatch you down off the mountaintops, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right back into reality. No. (laughs) I mean, you just went right out of that door. (laughs) Sorry. I had to ask <laughs> because you know what I'm going to ask after that is how can we best support you to move through oh, those obstacles and make it happen. There you go, bringing the wind right back. No, that's, <laughs> that's a great question. Um, you know, the obstacles are that I've experienced are only there in order just to make the Genius School and its message better. Um, the obstacles have been well. Let me just take it like this. Uh, generally, 
And these self-directed learning schools typically have four to five obstacles or problems. Number one, lack of awareness. Number two, lack of diversity, which some say is due to problem number one. Number three, Mm -hmm. lack of funding. Um, And then number four, lack of documentation. Some say that there is a lack of documentation. Um, Those have been, I think, the four main issues with the number, the, the toughest ones would be a lack of awareness. Um, and then that means just speaking this message over and over and over again, um, bringing to the forefront examples of people that have been given the opportunity to learn in freedom and then to showcase others what they've done with that freedom. And, and this is where we go back to the issue of worth, to help people to change their mindset about what worth means. So people always ask me, well, how many people have attended college after um, going through a self-directed learning school, such as a Sudbury or Agile Learning Center? Because to them, a college degree equals worth. Well, how many people are professionals, you know, in whatever fields? Because to them, attaining this career equals worth. And so changing the consciousness or the mindset of people um, has been a challenge. Um, But... It's been a beautiful journey um, because it's, it's caused me to look within myself and to find my own challenges. Because uh, there are times, you know, throughout this journey that I've had to sit myself down and have a parent-teacher conference with myself. You know? <laughs> and, and say to myself, now look at here, girl. I know you see that boy out there on that trampoline again. It's okay. Okay? It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> or, or look at here, mama. I know you see them playing Roblox again, but trust me. It's all right. And then you know, look closer and say, oh, he's actually writing code in Roblox. Oh, okay. You don't care about <laughs> Never mind. But so those have been some of the obstacles. Um, and then more specifically, being an, an African-American woman and speaking to communities of color, the response has been um, very dynamic and very interesting. Speaking to older people of color, and by older, I mean like in like my parents' age, you know, in their late 60s, early 70s, the response has been not always positive all of the time. I've even heard someone say to me, why aren't you putting your kids in this public school that we marched and fought mm-hmm. for you to have the freedom to attend? Mm-hmm. Right. So there's, there's that. Um, but yes. Yeah, so what do you say to that? What do you say to that? I said all of the hard work, all the effort, everything that everyone has gone through before in order to give us more opportunity to be able to be accepted into schools, all of that. Mm -hmm. And then here we're turning our back on it. Right. What do you say to that? I say thank you for your service and thank you for what you did so that freedom could be attained, period. And I get to say what I do with that freedom. Because because they our our forefathers, my grandparents did what they did, especially here in the states. I now have the liberty even to choose to homeschool my kids or to create self directed learning spaces. Um, and and I really just leave the conversation there. Um, and then you know the next thing they want to know was well what exactly are your kids doing anyway? And then. <laughs> You know, and sometimes I entertain that conversation and sometimes I don't, because, again, that gets back to, you know, someone is going to ascertain a worth to what someone else is doing. But um, to answer your your next question um, that you were alluding to, you know, the support is just to spread the message of self-directed learning. Parents don't know that this is even an option and to build, join the community where you will be fed and you will be encouraged and your fears will be calmed and we will listen and hold your hand as you go through the de-schooling process because that's real. And, um, and we will you know, suggest different things that you can strew to your children. Strewing is just a term that is used in the world of unschooling or self-directed learning where you lay suggestions or invitations for your children to do or to engage in that your children can either accept or deny. And to do so without, you know, pressure <laughs> or repercussion. Um, so that's that would probably be the most helpful thing is to number one find the inspiration yourself, 
find where you are swept away with the idea of self-directed learning and then to share that inspiration, share from that place of inspiration with others. And when that happens, okay. then the world will change. Hmm. I agree. I absolutely agree. You know, it, it's interesting because I think of like, I think of my family, I think of my dad, and I think I added this in an email, or I'm not even sure if I did now, but, you know, my dad is, you know, he's in his 70s. He's pretty old school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's from Jamaica. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and the always growing up, it was, you know, children should be seen and not heard. Yes. That was, that was your place as a child. Mm-hmm. And you, you learn pretty quickly that, you know, if you step out of that place, there are consequences, mm-hmm. really, is how it was. Yep. You know, and I, I love my parents. <laughs> I, I, you know, and I understand that's where they were, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, but at the same time, choosing to homeschool and then unschool for our family, my dad, who have, who had such strict beliefs on on that, on learning and education, because for my, my, you know, for my family too, you know, it was very much, you know, they did not have anything. They grew up in a very rough part of Montego Bay. They, mm-hmm. you know, and it was very much my grandparents were said, education is the only savior for us right now. Mm-hmm. You know, learn, do well, get a good job and career and move out of this, mm-hmm. you know, really was, and that was the push for everyone. Yeah. So I was really uncertain and unsure of how my my father in particular would take mm-hmm. the idea of us unschooling or and, and homeschool even even right but mm-hmm. it's been interesting because even coming from that background he sees he saw he got to experience that joy of learning yeah. and that curiosity and that love of life that my kids were feeling and many times what happens when he saw the differences in other kids he knew that didn't have that. Yeah. And from seeing that, he began to get the understanding of, you know, he started saying to me, I don't know, you know, school only needs, school does not need to be a full day. We can finish it at noon and kids can do what they need to do after that. Or, you know, it was, it was interesting seeing that shift because mm-hmm. then he got to experience it. So I tell this story because I really do understand when you say the importance to support you and to support self-directed learning is sharing your stories, like yes. sharing the inspiration yourself so that others can understand that it's just, it's not just magical Karima who's able to do this because it's her and no one else can replicate it, That's that it right. is something that we can all do and be part of. That's absolutely right. And the thing that I got from your story, and thank you for sharing that, I have very similar backgrounds. I remember my, so my mother was born here in Georgia, well, raised here in Georgia, and she was raised during Jim Crow South. And the very first word she learned how to read was the word colored. And of course, it was, growing up under Jim Crow, it was, you have to behave and act a certain way, because if you don't, it could mean life or death to the rest of us. And so taking from that, you know, my parents would tell myself and my younger siblings, um, they, meaning white children, can do that, but you can't. And by do Mm -hmm. that, that meant anything, you know, anything that was outside outside of the norm. They can be silly or funny or fall apart or take a risk or whatever. Run around in no shoes or no shirt. But you, you can't do that. And so coming into the world of education with that, you know, in the classroom as a teacher, you see that play out. You see children that are afraid to take risks in their learning because there is a foundation and an unspoken rule and law of which that really means I'm afraid that I can't recover from a mistake. I'm afraid that if I make a mistake, I don't have the time, the resources or the know-how to recover from that. Whereas another group of people that never heard that sentence, you can't do that. They believed, oh, you can do that. And even if you do that and it doesn't work out, no worries. There's another opportunity. Here's another resource. And so getting that and shifting that, even in myself, has been a powerful thing to witness. And I've had to even kind of check myself on my own parenting. Well, why can't they do that? So my phrase that I check myself on, the phrase that I use is, how can I say yes? How can I say yes to this? When my children say, well, mom, can we do whatever? You know, instantly, you know, my old background wants to rear up and say, no, 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 we can't do that. Mm -mm." 
But instead, I'm teaching myself to say, well, how can we say yes? And what would happen? What's the worst that could happen? And if it did, how would you recover from it? How would you learn from it and move forward? And it creates an opportunity for your brain to see possibilities that it didn't see before. And imagine if that were a way of being for children to learn. Well, how can I say yes to being an engineer? Or how can I say yes to trying out this new experiment? How can I say yes to that? And then to follow that rabbit trail. I hope that it will lead to a beautiful world. Yes, I agree. And, and, and that is the big thing is creating the opportunities and being able to see those opportunities and those possibilities. Mm-hmm. Because if you can't even really see them or watch others experiencing them, it's hard to really bring them into your, your current frame of reference in many ways. Absolutely. So then how do you see, you know, I'd ask you the question, you know, right now, it's a very interesting time we're living in. I mean, this year, this half a year alone has been, you know, one of those, I was telling my husband this morning, I'm, you know, it's one of those things where you read in history books, things that have happened, and you think, how, how did the world, how did this country, how did this place get to this place? How did the citizens get to this? How did they not see that, the, you know, how could you not, <laughs> you know, all those questions you used to ask until you, I sat and thought, wow, we are in a lot of those spaces right now. Right now. Uh, you know, I don't know what, moving forward, if things will shift differently, if they will continue on the same path, I'm not sure. But there's been a lot happening Mm -hmm. (laughs) between COVID, isolation, that's still happening. You know, everything, the the worldwide worldwide cry on racism, Black Lives Matter, Mm -hmm. you know, that I think maybe was more contained to the U.S. before, and it was a little bit silent around the rest of the world, Mm -hmm. but it is becoming more worldwide. Mm-hmm. And the economic shifts that really are a huge factor as well in everything else that plays out too. Mm-hmm. So how, how do you see the genius? I mean, this is a bit of a hard question. <laughs> if only we all had a crystal ball as well. But how do you see the genius still responding to, to, those, to those shifts and changes happening? Well, number one, I think that, it, and I don't know how this happened, but I think that COVID-19, um, as horrible and as gruesome, as it is in the amount of people that have suffered physically and emotionally, mentally from their loved ones or themselves being sick and or dying and those who are recovering and the first line responders and whatnot um, in, in, the, in the face and maybe as a result of all that COVID-19 was, what it did, in my opinion, it began to scratch the surface. It's like a COVID-19 was like a Brillo pad that you use when you're scouring your pants to get out some really mm-hmm. tough things. And it, it, it was so abrasive and rough that it was able to scratch up some stuff that had been um, you know, there for a very long time. I don't know about you. I'm going to put myself on blast. I have some pots and pans that have some stains that, you know, you just accept. This is just the way this stain is going to be. You know, it was from when I made that lasagna and some spilled out and burnt on the pan. Yeah, I'm sorry. I can't get it up. But when yeah, I can tell you a few pots right now that are sitting on my counter, <laughs> the same thing. You know, and you try to use the least abrasive approach. You know, you let it soak and you put some soap on and some hot water. Mm-mm. That stain was not coming up until I reached under the sink and got that Brillo pad or something and had to put some elbow grease on it. And then it came up. I see COVID-19 is doing the same thing. And it is it is left a, a rawness and openness. It's like when you're tilling the soil and that in and, in and of itself has created a ripeness which is why I think that we're seeing so many things that we have been trying to plant for generations. Now they are taking root extremely quickly and they're blooming into things that we have yet to discover. I see the genius school as being something that can answer the questions that parents are now having because now everyone was suddenly homeschooling, right? Which I thought was hilarious in and of itself. You know, all these years about homeschooling their, my kids, they're now like, um, so like, how did you, <laughs> well, can I call you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's been hilarious. But it's also given the parents an opportunity and the students. And I think everyone to really examine these 
hard, what we thought previously as unmovable things and to see them for what they really are, to see them as, you know, why do we do this? Why is this stain still here? You know, every time I go to cook lasagna on top of it, it just gets, you know, more stained and it's harder to get up. And so now that they're asking these questions, I see the Genius School and other self-directed learning spaces and Sudbury schools and agile learning centers and democratic free schools and everything else in between as answering the question that parents don't even know that they're asking. I've had parents say to me, and through tears, and this is the part that gets me, even every time when I feel like quitting, every time when I'm like, why am I doing this? My kids are already self-directed. I don't have to open up a school. But every single time I speak to a parent and through tears, they're telling me, this is exactly what I was looking for, but I did not know what it was called. And I did not know that it existed. And I did not know that there's a whole community of people that are doing this. Every time I get that response, something happens on the inside of me to say, keep going, just keep going, just keep swimming, just keep going, keep sharing the message. Because there's a little boy somewhere who is a full body kinesthetic learner like my son is, and he is being harassed and he is his parents are being pressured to put him on medication when perhaps not all cases, but perhaps like my son. All he needed was just the freedom to move because movement is the pathway into his brain. So I see COVID-19 as the tool that is causing all of us, parents, teachers, school administrators, and children to ask the question, what are we doing this for? This isn't working. Um, I think the mere rollout that parent, that schools try to uh, to meet the distance learning and God bless schools, you know, it's, it's a, it's a hard task. I'm facing the same things myself, but rolling out these packets and trying to get these kids to complete them. And, and what do you do if they can't and being faced with the reality of what we say is learning really is not. Um, and what we say encompasses, you know, 180 days in order to equal the school year really is not. And so uh, the Genius School stands at the ready to offer a new way. Well, I, I've, I've been sitting here. You can't see me, but I've been shaking my head. I've been <laughs> nodding all along, all along. Yes, all along this interview. So I want to help support you. And I know you have a few important things coming up for the Genius School. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you talk about them? Uh, can you share them? And I also want to know how we can reach you, find out more about the Genius School, give me all of the information and so that the audience can hear and we can put it out even further. Sure. And thank you. First of all, thank you so much for this opportunity. And I have to thank uh, my, my friend who called you, Michelle. She was the one that that told me, she said, I, I, I called this podcast. I don't know if you're going to be on. So thank you to Michelle and, and thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Um, we are hosting a virtual open house on July 12th at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I have to say that again, Eastern Standard Time at 5 p.m. And at 5, 5, 5 p.m. Eastern mm-hmm. Standard Time? Okay. Yes. 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It will be an opportunity for families to learn about what self-directed learning is and the de-schooling process. We will talk about what a day in the life of a genius school student could look like. Um, We will discuss what we are doing during this COVID-19 time of creating a virtual learning space with the opportunity, obviously, to meet in person as soon as it is um, responsible to do so. Um, so that's the that's the biggest thing that we have coming up. The Genius School will eventually grow into a franchise, and it will be something that anybody anywhere who wants self-directed learning but doesn't necessarily know how to go about creating the system, well, the system is already here for you. Um, but until that time, what we're offering now is an opportunity to join our community and to receive um, the benefits of the Genius School, which would be our documentation tool that allows self-directed learners to document themselves. Um, for families that are new to self-directed learning, we offer de-schooling coaching and pillar one coaching of how to create good experiences. 
um, families and, and interested uh, persons can interact with me on Facebook at uh, The Genius School or at Decentralized Learning. And we are on Instagram at the underscore genius underscore school. And then you may email me directly at info uh, at thegeniusschool.org. And then the website to register for the open house is thegeniusschool.org slash events. And you can register right there um, on Zoom for our talk. Okay, wonderful. What I'll do is I will include all of those in the show notes as well. Perfect. Thank you so much. So they can go straight to the, yeah, my pleasure. Put, go straight to the show notes and click on those links or find all that information there. Well, I have taken your space and time and, and now it's time to give it back. And But I want to give it back with great gratitude. Uh, thank you very much for joining me on the show. Thank you very much. And I, I'm looking forward to hearing more and, and watching and supporting the Genius School as it, as it grows and moves forward. So thank you, Karima. It's been a pleasure. Robin, thank you so very much for the opportunity.